0: Well, uh, we're, we're, I think this is the second last week of our series on holiness, uh, and then we're on to something else, just briefly for the school holidays, uh, and then next term, I can't remember, uh, Genesis, something to do with covenants, I can't, can't quite remember, that's next term, we'll, we'll work it out then, uh, but the second last week of our holiness series. Uh, last week, we looked at Romans 6, the second half of Romans 6, if you remember. And, and last week, there was these three tests to see if we were slaves to sin or whether we were slaves to righteousness. And by happy coincidence, or god incidents, because of course there are no coincidences, uh, we're doing a similar thing this week. We're not thinking about slavery, but we're thinking about faith. And the question for this morning is this. Is our faith living or is it dead? That's our question. Uh, And we're going to look at James chapter 2. So, if you've got Bibles there, James chapter 2, and maybe it'll appear on the screen. Maybe it won't. That's okay. James chapter 2, we're starting at verse 14. I'll give you a moment to find it. Okay, James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Is our faith living or is it dead? Before we get into it, faith uh, faith means to trust in something. Faith is not this nebulous thing. It's not faith despite the evidence. It's faith because of the evidence. It's faith that is concrete and real and it's based in reality. And when we're talking about faith, when James is talking about faith here, he's talking about faith in the Lord Jesus. It's about our trust in him. Our trust in him so that his death is our death. His life is our life. We trust him because we can't save ourselves. And so we trust him that his death was in our place. And that the new life that he has in the resurrection is our new life too. That's what faith here means. And obviously we want a living faith. I hope that was pretty obvious from the passage. But there's also this sense that faith can be dead. And so what does that mean? In what sense is faith dead? Well, a dead faith is unable to attain its purpose. It cannot save, and it cannot justify. In verse 14, James says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? And the answer there is no. A dead faith cannot save. Dead faith can't save, and in verse 24, James says that dead faith can't justify us either which is kind of goes together but to justify someone to to call to be justified is to say that when god looks at a person when god looks at a person with dead faith god doesn't see the perfection of christ given to them instead he sees consent continues to see a rebel but someone with a living faith is justified, which means that as God looks at them, they see the perfection of Jesus given to them, imputed, given to them. They see the, perfect, uh, the perfection of Christ in us, and so we are justified, we are right with God. And if we're not justified, it, then we're not saved, and dead faith can't save us. And so we need to work out... What kind of faith do we have? That is the question that James wants us to answer. Before we jump into this passage, though, and think about that, let's just get one particular issue out of the way with this passage. Uh, If you've ever read Romans or Galatians, then you'll know that what James says here seems to contradict what Paul says in those letters. So, for example... James says that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. But then Paul says this, a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or in Galatians, a person is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. There's this contradiction between what it is that actually saves you. Is it faith and works, like James says, or is it faith alone, like Paul says? So we're going to get this issue out of the way. And the way to understand this apparent contradiction is to realise that James and Paul are dealing with different issues. James is addressing the issue that someone can have faith but not have works. That's the issue. Can someone have faith but not have works? And Paul is addressing the issue that someone can be saved by their works. And both of those things are, are, are true. That is, we're not saved by doing good works as if we can tip the scales in our favour. But it's also true that faith without works is a symptom of a faith that is dead. A dead faith that can't save. Now, there's a lot more we could kind of say on that but they're talking about different issues. They're not contradictions, and hopefully they'll be a bit clearer as we go along as well. So back to our question, is our faith living or dead? And the first test that James gives us is there in verses 14 to 17, where he says that dead faith does nothing. Look at verse 14. What happens when you come across someone in need? Do we do anything about their physical needs or, or, or do we just say, you know, God bless you and move on? Now, we probably wouldn't say, kind of go in peace, but we have our own version of that. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking of you. I'm wishing you well. Thoughts and prayers. Or well, my personal fave, I'll pray for you. Now, prayer is a great thing, and prayer is important. But God's Word is saying that if someone is in physical need, and all we do is say that we'll pray for them, James says that that is a symptom of a faith that is dead. But living faith, living faith does something. It looks after the needs of others, See, a faith that has placed its trust in the Lord Jesus will be obedient to him. And so we'll care for our neighbours, for our friends, for our families, and especially those who we might not even know. See, dead faith is no good. It's inherently defective and it produces nothing. But a genuine and a living faith will do good works in obedience to God. So let's think back, over the, the, think back over the last interaction that you had with someone in need. What did you do? What did you not do? What should you have done? Last week, I got a message from a friend who's doing student mis- ministry in Zimbabwe. And they were asking for money to buy a new generator so that the building that they met in could get lighting and heat. And what did I do about that? Nothing. Yeah, I, I I forgot about the message. I forgot to talk to Angela about it. I did nothing. I don't think I even prayed for them. And a living faith doesn't do that. You know, I had a dear brother in need and I did nothing. And that's my honest confession for, for this last week. But what about you? What has your last week been like? Was the last person that you saw that was in need? What did you do? What did you not do? Do you have a living faith? Or is it dead? Dead faith does nothing and dead faith shows nothing. What I mean is that you can see living faith. But dead faith has no external evidence. Look at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. James makes up this kind of hypothetical person who tries to pit faith against works. And James, if you notice, has that zinger comeback to that sort of person. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. See, how do you know that someone believes in Jesus? Like, really believes in Jesus? Isn't just kind of saying it? Well, we we can't know with absolute certainty, can we? None of us can know that for sure, because we can't see into the human heart. Only God can do that. And so only God knows 100% who belongs to him. But our actions do give us some sort of indication for whether or not we, we trust in the Lord Jesus. And James is arguing that genuine faith and action is always found together. And to prove his point, James has this wild example of the demons. There in verse 19. See, the, the demons have great theology. Don't know if you've ever thought about that. But when it comes to true Christian teaching, apart from God himself, the demons have it in the bag. They would be the best theologians the world has ever seen if they weren't trying to trick us and trap us all the time. But they believe that there is one God. And that is a good thing to believe in, says James. Good. That's a good thing. But they have this great theology and an amazing faith in the one true God, but it's not combined with action, and so the demons shudder. They shudder because they know that that sort of faith deserves judgment. See, James uses the demons as an example of faith without deeds, and in doing so, it becomes a parody for our own life. The demons are smart. They know that even though they believe in God, they rightly shudder in the fear of judgment of God because they do not have the kind of faith that is saving, the kind of faith that is genuine. And yet what do we do? Well, we put up with a pale imitation of genuine faith and assume that everything is going to be okay. And yet... Just like the demons, we should be shuddering with fear at the judgment of God for having this cheap imitation of faith that we think will save us. See, the test of genuine faith is that it does something and that you can see it. And and if we don't have that, then we should be shaking in our boots. James acknowledges that that good theology and good beliefs are important. You know, he says it's good. And we don't want to downplay that, but we can't leave it there. One of my favourite books in the Bible is the book of Jonah. And Jonah is a prophet who's told to go to his enemies and proclaim to them the message of the Lord, and instead he runs away. And I'm not sure if you've ever noticed this as you've read that story, but throughout the whole book, Jonah is spot on with his theology. He never puts a foot wrong throughout the whole book. In chapter 1, he's got a great theology about God as the creator of the world. In chapter 2, he's got a great theology about God as the saviour. And in chapter, three, uh, chapter 4, he's got a great theology about God's mercy. But Jonah gets it so wrong, because his theology doesn't match his actions. He knows that God is the creator of the sea and the dry land, and yet he tries to run away from God. He knows that God can save whoever he wants, and yet he doesn't think that God should save the Ninevites. He knows that God is merciful, but he doesn't want God to show mercy to his enemies, Jonah's theology is spot on throughout the whole book. But his actions betray the fact that his faith is not living. His faith is dead. His faith doesn't lead to obedience to God. And yet, despite all of that, the amazing thing about the story of Jonah is that God still uses him to carry out his purposes. You know, Jonah is the most successful prophet in the Old Testament. But that's not because of his faith. It's because God is at work in in and through Jonah, despite Jonah's disobedience. It all comes down to God's power and kindness. And that could also be us. Let's not make the mistake of... of of assuming that God's power and kindness is genuine faith. You know, every week we have new people that come and check us out. We have people that make contact with us throughout the week where people are becoming Christians, we're growing, we're, you know, good things are happening. But let's not mistake the kindness of God with what we think is a living, active, genuine faith. So be very careful to distinguish the two. God is always kind, but we've got to make sure that our faith is living and active. Well, in the rest of the passage, James backs up what he's saying by looking at two examples of people who act because they have genuine faith. So verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Now Back in Genesis 22, God wants to test Abraham's faith. And, and that's in chapter 22, and then back in Genesis chapter 15, God had promised that, that Abraham would, would have lots of descendants. He'd have so many descendants, they wouldn't be able to count them, they'd be like stars in the sky. So that's the promise, and in chapter 22, God wants to test Abraham's faith and see if his faith is genuine. And so God asks him to kill the thing that is most precious to him, that is his son. Not only is this his son the the thing that is most precious to Abraham, but it's also it also puts the promises of God in jeopardy. You know, if there's if there's no son, then there's no descendants. How can God's promise come true if Abraham kills his son? And so that's the test. Will Abra- does Abraham trust God enough that if he kills his son, Isaac, God will still fulfill his promises? And if you know the story, Abraham is about to go through with it, but he's stopped by God, and he passes the test. And James gives us that summary there. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did Abraham's faith was working together with his actions, and in doing so, his faith was made complete. How did his actions complete his faith? Well, his faith reached its intended goal. Abraham's faith enabled him to do what God wanted him to do. Abraham's genuine living faith enabled him to live obediently to God to do what God had told him to do. That's what it means to, to say that his actions completed his faith. Um, that his faith was made complete. That he, his faith reached his intended goal in it, his obedience to God. So the first example is Abraham. The second example is Rahab. And this comes from Joshua chapter 2. Uh, Rahab was a complete outsider. She'd heard things about the God of Israel, and when Israel came to conquer her city, she had to decide where she was going to put her faith. And by helping the Jewish spies, she was showing that she had put her faith in the God of Israel. And like Abraham, her actions showed that she had a living faith. So is your faith living or dead. Now, throughout this series, uh, we've seen a number of reasons why holiness matters. It matters because God is holy and we are His children and we are called to be holy, just like Him. Holiness matters because we have been made new. And so, holy is who we are. We're to become that. We are to become what we already are. And it matters... Because living and genuine faith is shown by the good works that accompany faith. And the summary for how we're supposed to live is there in verse 22. That faith and action are to work together so that our faith can be complete. Complete in the sense of living a life in obedience to God, the way that we were meant to live. Faith and action, working together so that we are obedient to God. Which means that we can't just aim for faith. We can't just aim for having good doctrine and good theology. But neither can we just aim for being good people. We need both working together. Only together will be able to will we be able to live a life that is pleasing to God. And of course, we're saved by faith alone. But saving faith is never alone. A faith, that is, a faith that saves is always accompanied by action. A working faith is a faith that works. Before we end, I want to just tackle something that this passage raises for us. And that's the question of which comes first, faith or action? And and immediately, we have to say that faith comes first, that our faith leads to action. And that is absolutely true, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this helpful observation that there are times when our actions need to come first. And I think this is helpful for us to grasp because there are times when we feel our faith shrinking when we feel like we we just don't really trust God, we don't know if he's there, we don't know if he loves us. And when that happens, our temptation is to try to grow our faith. But Bonhoeffer says that we should actually aim at our actions instead. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he has this little summary. Only those who believe obey. Only those who obey believe. And both of those statements are true. And both of those summarise are Paul and James's positions. Remember at the start, I talked about Paul and James and the kind of apparent contradiction there. Paul argues that belief leads to obedience. And James argues that obedience is a sign of faith. See, the first statement is talking about our initial conversion, about our justification, about our saving, about our trust in the Lord Jesus. And that second statement is talking about the importance of our actions working together with our faith. See, there are times when our disobedience gets in the way of our belief. I think our church, our tradition that we kind of come from, is very good at making sure that faith comes first before obedience. And it's really important that we don't lose that. But it's also a bit of a weakness because we misunderstand and we don't apply the second part. So, so for example, when we hear of someone who struggles to believe in God, what do we do? Well, we tell them to listen to sermons or to read their Bible more, or or we tell them to pray, or we tell them that they're just not listening to God enough. But Bonhoeffer says that the problem is not their faith, the problem is their obedience. He says that what we should be saying to that person instead is this. He says, Only those who obey believe. You are disobedient. You are trying to keep some part of your life under your own control that is what is preventing you from listening to Christ and believing in his grace. You cannot hear Christ because you are willfully disobedient. Somewhere in your heart, you are refusing to listen to his call. Your difficulty is your sins. Bonhoeffer's point is James's point, that faith without action is debt. And so if you're struggling to believe in God, then perhaps the problem isn't your faith. Perhaps the problem is your obedience. And the promise of James is that our faith will always find its completion, its end point when we act. Our faith will blossom when we act. And how is it that we're supposed to act? Well, in holiness righteousness in obedience to God, putting aside wickedness, putting aside sin, and living holy lives. Specifically from this passage, though, James gives us two things. So it gives two examples of what works, what, what deeds, what actions we are supposed to do. And firstly, it's helping those in need. Now, James has a lot to say in his letter about those who are poor and needy, and I'm preaching to myself here, you've already heard that, that we need to care for those people who are less well-off than us. We need to have a heart for people in need, learning to love them and serve them and help them with the physical things that they need help with, looking for ways to help. And secondly, the way we're to act is by being obedient to God. And this is the example of Abraham. Abraham. That, he, that Abraham did exactly what God wanted him to do. It was a struggle. He didn't want to do it, but he did it anyway. And that is what holiness, that's what our faith in action looks like. Faith in action looks like holiness. Looks like, holiness. Looks like obedience to God. Putting aside sin, denying ourselves and living for him. And so, is there a part of my life and your life that we are keeping under our own control? Yeah, this is the kind of second last week of thinking about holiness. But of course, holiness is something that should continue long after this sermon series ends. And so, is there a part of our lives that is still under our control? that we haven't given over to the Lord Jesus, that we're not living in obedience to him. If that is the case, then watch out because that is a symptom of a faith that is dead. And if you want the kind of faith that saves, if we want a, a living and a genuine faith, then we've got to make sure that our actions are working together with our faith. Let me pray for us. Father God, we do thank you so much for for James and for his letter that we get to read. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live lives that are holy. We pray that we would be uh, living lives that are obedient to you. Please, would our faith be working together with our actions? Uh, We pray that that would happen long after this sermon series is finished. Help us to keep putting sin to death and keep walking in obedience to you, we pray. Amen.